It's so good. Grab a seat, somebody. It is awesome to be back in uh, my favorite church in maybe one of the greatest states. Uh, people, I know some of you don't call Texas a state. For some of you, it's a country. But I do believe it's one of the greatest countries in states in America. Can I get an amen? We love all of you. Always privileged to be with my Texas friends at conferences in other states. And they say, well, you're from Texas? Or no, they say, they say uh, we're in other countries. And they say, oh, you're from America? And they say, no, no, I'm from Texas. They have to correct them. And uh, it is such an honor to be back. I love this church so much. I love your pastors. How many know Pastor Dustin and Jamie Bates? Some of my favorite people in the whole world. My wife and I just think the world of your leaders, your pastors. I think you have, I think Dustin is one of the best preachers uh, in the country. And, and really, I, I really do believe he's one of the best lead pastors with Jamie. I think Jamie's like a scholar and a comedian. And if you've never heard, I, I mean, even my wife came home from your women's conference and said, we got to have Jamie come. She's so unfunny and she's so smart. And I just love Jamie. And I, I just, I had, I had low self-esteem after she said that. My self-confidence level went down like Jamie is the best. And uh, I just love you guys so much. And it's an honor to be back at your great church. I want to say thank you. Uh, every time I hear, I, I feel like just giving you guys the, the jacket and the shirt off my back. But I haven't been working out lately. Um, <laughs> So I'm not going to do that. But I want to say thank you. Uh, we would not be where we are. Uh, our church just turned three years old. And you guys gave us $30,000. One of the largest gifts our church ever received to get started. We would not be where we are and who we are without 1132. We affectionately call ourselves uh, Ocean's 1132. And uh, we're a bit of a, we're, we're, we're cousins. Can I get an Amen. Our college students came out, served at the Dream Center this uh, last springtime, and uh, they came back. They said, they're like our cousins, and it was really special. And I'm like, don't date your cousins. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. They could date you guys. Um, well, hey, I'm excited to be back. Uh, my wife sends her greetings. Uh, my wife, my beautiful wife, Rochelle, we've been married now for I just celebrated 16 years. Praise God. <clears throat> That's 22 Hollywood marriages, so we're celebrating and um, praise the Lord. Uh, and I have a picture of my daughters. We have a 13-year-old now. They've gotten big. And that's my 6-year-old, Chloe. And so they send their greetings. Uh, Kenzie was really upset she didn't come. She loves hanging out with Aunt Jamie. Is one of her favorite people in the whole world. And uh, I just want to say I'm honored to be back. I brought my friend Paul with me. Paul is one of, uh, one of the godliest guys in California. Loves Jesus. Amazing businessman. Come on, get Paul to Allen, Texas. We love you, Paul. But an honor to be back here today. Uh, I'll jump in this morning. You guys, you guys ready for a good time? Is, can we have a good time? Is it okay to enjoy God on Sundays? Some people go to church and they're like, the boringer it is, the more I'm doing God a favor. I just don't believe that. I don't think we have to sit in these pews looking like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. I feel like God wants us to come to church, come on, ex excited to be here. And so I'm going to open up the Bible today. I'm going to preach on a path. Man, this, this napkin's getting uh, ambitious here. Let me tuck him back in. Sorry, I, this guy bothers me. I'm a little OCD that way. Anybody else? We'll keep going. Uh, praise the Lord. You got your Bible this morning? If your Bible glows in the dark, it's great. We're going to open up the Bible today. And uh, I, I really felt, you know, I was praying all week for this trip and, and for you guys. And God told me there was a couple that was going to be here today that you've been trying to have kids for some time now. And he said about this time next year, you're going to be holding your baby. I believe this is going to be a miracle Sunday. How many believe God can do miracles this Sunday? 
going to be a powerful Sunday. There's someone in here, you got in a car accident, and your spine has never been the same. And I really do believe that this Sunday, God is going to straighten your spine out. Um, there's people in the room. I, I just believe this could be a, a Sunday that cancer is cured, uh, that people that have kids running from God will come back this week. There's even a couple of you that haven't talked to your parents or your children in over a couple of years. And you mark my words, this week, the next seven days, God's going to begin the restoration process. I just was praying. God is going to speak to me. And so I'm excited. It's going to be a good Sunday if you believe it. Maybe the Cowboys win the day too. Can I get an amen? It's a cherry on top. But it's going to be a good Sunday. Luke 15, I want you to turn there with me. I know that preaching out of Luke 15 in the Bible Belt is like offering someone sunscreen in Seattle in December. Doesn't always go over super well. But I'm I'm believing that it's going to be a good Sunday. If you're ready to go, come on, say amen. amen. If you get bored today, I just want you to know you're a boring person. I'm not a boring preacher. If you fall asleep in this church service, it's likely that you have narcolepsy. And so we're going to get after it today. We're going to have a good time. We're going to enjoy God, but I make no, no, no excuses about it. My intention is I'm going to do all my best and bring my best energy to this passage, but I do believe the Spirit of God is going to put an explanation point on this morning by showing up in a glorious way. Some of you that have never felt God, heard God, sensed God, and even felt His love are going to have an encounter today. For some of you, it's been a long time, but today's going to be like a, uh, it's like, it's going to be like a, a baby moon or a honeymoon or an anniversary trip in your faith. I think God wants to recreate the love you had at the beginning. And uh, so it's going to be a good Sunday. If you believe it, say amen. amen. I want to say that I love this church. I love, I love your teaching staff. I listened to the last few weeks of your messages. Uh, I listened to Pastor D's all-in message, and I'm like, I'm moving to Dallas. <laughs> I'm all in. I listened to Pastor John's message, I think it was last week, was that last week? Listen to Pastor Grant's message the week before that. He's funny. He's sneaky funny. And I enjoyed listening to him and Pastor K, who Pastor Cameron? Yeah. We call him Petty Cash, where I'm from, but it's another story. And if I say something today that offends you, I'm gone after today. And uh, if you're angry, you can email me at uh, Pastor Dustin Bates at, I'm just kidding, that's a bad joke. Luke 15, you guys ready to go? <clears throat> thank you, Pastor Steve. If he's here still, I love you, Pastor Steve. Did I thank everybody? Keon, I love you. I want to thank my legs for supporting me, my arms for always being by my side, and my, I want to thank my fingers. I can always count on them. Let's get into this this morning. Luke 15, you guys ready? <clears throat> Familiar passage. We're going to look at it with a fresh set of eyes today. Luke 15, verse 11, it says, uh, if you wouldn't mind, guys, turn my monitor up just a little bit more. I'd like it to blow my hair back. Yeah. Awesome. Luke 15, 11, it says, a certain man had two sons. How many sons? I know this is a famous Bible passage. I know some of you have read it hundreds of times, heard it preached hundreds of times. But come on today, let's, let's, let's go in with, with fresh hunger. It says, he had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods. Give me. Say it with me. Give me. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Notice it wasn't just the younger son that got his inheritance that day. The older son did too. Another message. But uh, divided the livelihood affected both of their lives. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all and he headed to Vegas uh, to a far country, checked into the Cosmo and wasted his possessions with prodigal, crazy, wild living. But when he had spent all of his money, there arose a severe famine. Severe what? Notice it wasn't just a famine, it was a severe famine. When you read the Bible, there's oftentimes famines before great revivals. 
talk about this today, but there was a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. In what? In want. So he was wild, he was wasting, and he's in want. And, and it says that he, he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent them into the fields. This good Jewish boy, good Jewish boy was sent into the fields to feed pigs. If you know anything about Jewish culture, they were not supposed to be around pigs. Pigs were unclean animals, so he's doing a no-no. And it says, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with with the food that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy. No longer what? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, make me, say with me, make me like one of your servants. And he arose and he came to his father and he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, ran, which was a no-no in that, that culture if you were a patriarch, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupted him midstream. He said, bring out the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand, stevas on his feet, some Birkenstocks. Bring out the fatted calf. We're going to barbecue. Come on, somebody in Texas. We're going to eat and we're going to be merry. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. They began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and he drew near to the house. He wasn't in the house. He was in the field. And when he was in the field, he came near to the house, and he heard, uh, he heard music, and he heard dancing. I want you to know that if you can hear dancing, there was a real party going on. Can we agree on that? Stomp the yard. Come on, somebody. Some dancing. And he's, he, he's like, what is going on? And so he called one of the servants from the house. He asked the servant what, what these things meant. And the servant said, hey, your brother, he's... He's back. He came home because he came back safe and sound. Your father, he's killed the calf and he's, he's barbecuing. It's crazy. He's just excited. It's a party. The older brother was angry, would not go into the house. He stayed in the field. So the father had to come to him out in the field. He pleaded with him and he answered and said, he said to his father, Lo, you know you're a little bit of emo when you start a sentence with Lo. Lo, I've been with you many years and... I've been so faithful to you. You've never, you, I've never done anything wrong and <clears throat> at any time. You've never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes home who has devoured his livelihood, your livelihood, with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Father said, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right for me that I should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. I want to stay in the series you guys have been in, Presence Over Everything. And I want to talk to you today about preparing the house. Preparing the house. You guys ready? Preparing the house. Let's pray today. We just love you so much, Jesus. We thank you for your sweet spirit. I even pray right now in the second service that you would just come in this room in a powerful way. We invite you to meet each one of us where we are. If it's our first time in church or we come every single week, God, would you meet us here? We ask you to come in this space, heal, speak, move, save, restore. God, would you bless us today with your presence. We pray blessing over the Dallas Cowboys this season in Jesus' name. Pray for Dustin to convert in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Pastor D's a recovering Seahawks fan, so keep praying for him. But uh, 
I, uh, I got two kids. Who's got kids? Anybody have kids? I heard a comedian one time say that kids are like farts. You can only tolerate your own. That's inappropriate to say in church. I apologize. I got two kids. Come on, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh in church sometimes. Two kids. Um, and my youngest daughter is, she's six. She's like a blender missing a lid. I got a 13-year-old that's going on 21. And I got a beautiful wife named Rochelle. And um, I got three girls in my house. We're actually adopting a dog. It's going to be a boy. We're going to balance the force in the Francie household. Dog's coming next month. But uh, right now I'm in an estrogen farm. There's a lot of women in my house. I come home some days, there's crying, there's drama, there's tears. Came home the other day, and I, I, one of the girls greeted me at the door, and she was crying, and she's like, the girls slammed the door in my face, and they wouldn't let me come in. They called me a dummy head. And I was like, Rochelle, um, <laughs> that's a joke. My wife hates that joke. Um, I, got, I, got, I got beautiful family, but um, it's crazy. When my wife got pregnant, you know, we, we, we got pregnant my my oldest is 13. It's amazing how when you go from a young married couple to getting pregnant, it changes the way that you actually see the world. I remember never thinking about, you know, cars on the road until I had a baby in my back seat driving home from the hospital. I'm 10 and 2. I am focused. I am yelling at everybody that's not driving the speed limit. It's crazy how kids change your world. I, I remember we found out we were pregnant. People were like, did you want to know the gender? I'm like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not rolling the dice. They're like, did you want to do a home birth? I'm like, no. I'm not a weirdo. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That offends people. Um, my friend just had a home birth. Um, he's like, it was awesome. We had a midwife. I'm like, that sounds medieval. Um, <laughs> a midwife. Uh, but uh, I was thinking about how you get pregnant, and uh, I'm going somewhere today. You, you get pregnant, and you actually you start preparing the house. It, it, you start decorating the nursery. We started painting the walls. We found out the gender, and so we painted the walls, and we got the nursery equipment. We got, I guess it's called a crib. <laughs> nursery equipment, Bowflex. Uh, we got the nursery paraphernalia and uh, the rocking chair and just the diaper, the diaper changing station. And we started preparing. Before the baby came, while, while it was still being developed inside of my, my wife, that the baby was on the way, we started preparing the house. And uh, my wife, there was a lot of signs that there was a baby coming. She had morning sickness for a while. She started craving Subway like nobody's business. <laughs> this is back before that, I guess you're not supposed to eat like deli meat, I guess, when you're pregnant. They, how many of them, they've changed a lot of stuff over the years. It's like they used to say you don't need a seatbelt, you know? There was things that we didn't know back in the day. Um, but apparently they, that's not good for you. But when, when Kenzie was in my, when she was in the oven, uh, Rochelle was all about the, the $5 foot long. And um, so I would buy all this food. But she was, my wife would get sick. There was times that she felt not herself. It affected her attitude. It affected what was going on in her mind, and her soul, her spirit. It's amazing that when you're preparing new life, it has an effect on your body. And my wife and I, we, we dedicated nine months to preparing our lives and our houses for the new lives that were coming into our lives. And uh, people say, Mark, what's going on right now in the world? Uh, I've, been, I've been a lead pastor, started a church in 2018, just a little bit before 2020. And so that was kind of like, uh, you seen the footage of the uh, skiers outrunning avalanches? Yeah, it's kind of like the last three years of my life. It's been wild. It's been crazy. I feel like 2020 was like a mullet. It was business up front, but there was a party kind of in the back of it for us. 
And uh, the church grew. There was a lot of cool stuff that happened. But I've seen more in 2020, 2021. It's crazy. Like, the world obviously got shut down. God sent all of us to our room. We were social distancing. We were isolating ourselves. We were, we were indoors. We were scared to be around one another. And it was just a really wild uh, window in history. We saw more divisions politically, racially, economically. There's been more upheaval. There's been more strife. There's been more us and them language used in the last three years than any other window of my life. And I'm, I'm 37. I look 36. I'm 37. And I've seen crazy stuff. People say, Mark, it's, well, is, is it the end times? And I think, you know, my answer is always we are 24 hours closer than we were about this time yesterday to the end. I don't necessarily think that we are like in the end end. I think we're getting closer. I think for us to say that it's the end days because gas is $6 plus a kidney transplant to get a gallon of gas, that's bad, but I don't think it's anything close to if you were Anne Frank, if you were living in a concentration camp. I think there's been worse windows than 2021. Great, no, but has it been worse times? Yes. But I do believe this, that on the heels of all great turbulent windows in history, God has always done his best work. You study world history and church history, you will find that no great revival ever hit a nation out of times of peace and prosperity. Revival has always come. Spiritual awakening has always come out of turbulent, after a war, after a famine, after a great divide, after great adversity. Uh, revival has always come out of the soil of persecution or out of difficult moments. And I believe that we are living in a window of history that's more divided, more polarizing, more shaking. How many know that everything that could be shaken was shaken? You couldn't go to Hawaii, you couldn't travel, you couldn't go on vacation. People are, people are not leaving their houses for a year. It's, it's like everything that could be shaken was shaken. It's the Bible says. I don't like it when things are shaken unless I know who's doing the shaking. And the Bible I read says that God is the one that shakes things. I believe that God only shakes society because he wants to shake some stuff out and he wants to shake some stuff in. I believe that right now God is shaking something in the church and he's shaking something out of the church. What is happening right now? I believe that we are in a spiritual famine right now. I believe in America right now we have a famine politically. We have a famine when it pertains to division. There is more. What is famine? It's when people are hungry for something fresh. And I believe right now that the church in America is right now experiencing Luke 15. We have some people that are in famine that are waking up outside, and there's going to be a famine right now in the world that is waking up people that are inside. Luke 15 is a story about two lost boys. One is lost outside of the house. One is lost inside of the house. I would tell you today that it is possible to actually not know God and live wild and live crazy and live wasted and live, and live wandering and end up in want and end up feeling worthless if you live outside of God and his house. It's possible. But I would also say while I'm in Texas that it is completely also possible to never leave God's side and have a legalistic, ritualistic, traditional faith that is actually, it's, it's around God but never changed by God. Judas is a story about someone that spent three and a half years, saw the miracles, heard the teachings, been around the presence, but didn't let who God was change him. And I believe that's what the spirit of legalism is. It's when you're around Jesus, but not changed by Jesus. There is two lost boys, two lost boys. 
One was lost outside, one was lost inside. The one outside, and, so, and I, I feel like people say, Mark, what's going on right now? Here's what God's been speaking to me, is that this famine we're in right now, we got cargo ships lining the coast where I live. We have, we have gas prices higher, real estate prices higher. Everything is just inflated. I don't know what is going on, but I think we can all agree that there is just something crazy kind of happening in the world right now. Can I get an amen? If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You can give me Presbyterian eyebrow raise, a Latter-day Saint deep breath. <sighs> can I get something today? What are you the world is crazy right now. I don't know about you, but I wake up some days and I'm like, okay, let's watch the news. Who's fighting today? What chapter of Revelations are we going to look at today? We're living in a wild window of time. Why is it wild? I think because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the more that society pushes God out, the more wisdom leaves too. Where is common sense gone? It's not very common anymore, especially in my state. I believe common sense isn't common because we push God to the margins. And when the father is pushed out of his own house, wisdom leaves too. If the fear of God is what bring God, if the fear of the Lord is what brings wisdom in, it is the lack of honor of God that pushes wisdom out. Why is America? We're trying to push God out of our money, out of our pledge, out of our politics, out of our schools. It's like we want to get God out of everything, but we want the blessing of God. I told people in California last week in our church, yes, Paul, I said, I said, it's crazy that people want to move to godly states because they see the blessing of God on the state, but people that don't honor God move to blessed states and they want what that state has, but they don't know what the state did to get it. And they want to turn that state into the state that they left, that they ruined by being godless. Getting quiet up in the Presbyterian church. I'm just telling the truth today. Why is everybody moving to Texas? Because there's a blessing on this state. Whether you like it or not, there's more people in this state that honor God than dishonor him. And that's why your economy's blessed. That's why there's, there's a favor on this state. That's why you're not Americans, you're Texans. Are you with me today? Come on, can I get an amen for some Texans and some barbecue? Gosh, hard eight. I think most people don't realize this, but there is a famine going on. What do famines do? What is the purpose of a famine? I believe this. God allows, doesn't cause, God allows, his permissive will allows famines. I believe in, 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 at the forefront of all famines is God's father's heart to wake up his lost boys. Notice this in Luke 15. I never really thought about this before. But the lost son didn't wake up until the famine got severe. Anybody you know? Say, I, 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 I think I should start going, going, going back to church again. This, this is getting kind of crazy. This stuff happening right now politically, the stuff that's happening right now racially, the stuff that's happening right now, man, geographically and socially, economically, all this stuff is so unstable, so out of the norm, so divisive and polarizing. It's like things sometimes have to get so uneasy. There's got to be a famine strong enough to start waking up some of these lost sons that are wandering. And notice it when the, the younger son, we'll call him Wild Willie, come on. When Willie lived wild enough that he actually hit a famine that was severe enough to make him want to go home, it's actually what triggered the older brother who wasn't in the house. It's, it's funny, both of them were in the field when they came to themselves. In Matthew 13, it says the field is the world. I think it's interesting. Jesus said the field is the world. I believe that these guys were both, one of them was frequenting the house, 
but lived at the house, but was living in the field still. And the other one fully cut ties to the church and just went fully into the field. I believe that today there's two groups of people that maybe are going to be affected by this message. Those of you that are like, Mark, I feel like the younger brother, that I've cut ties, I'm living wild. And I'll be honest, if you're here today, what is God going to do with the famine that's going on right now in society? It's going to wake up those that are living wild, and it's going to wake up those that are living legalistic. Can I get a good amen? What do you know about the wild younger brother? Here's what we know about wild living. It says that he came to his father, which I, this is so important. Most of us don't realize that we begin to ruin our lives when we come to God and we have this attitude of give me. You know what wild living starts with? It starts with selfishness. Most people don't realize that the number one commandment in the satanic Bible is do as thou will. There is something in selfishness that severs your umbilical cord from the presence of God. People say, Mark, the prodigal son was just greedy for money. He was already rich. He had servants. He lived in the mansion. He had everything that the father owned. It was not about money. He left the father's house because he wanted to be the Lord of his own life. He wanted control. I want what my father has, but I want to spend it on me. That is where most people that leave Christianity... You grew up in church and you left. You go, you know what? I'm tired of doing this for God and others and my parents. I want to live for me. I'm going to do as thou will. Not God's will, but my will be done. That's what Satan fell with. I will be like God. When you put yourself in God's seat, I'll tell you today, God makes a terrible employee, but he makes an awesome boss. And some of you, you want God to be your employee and say, give me, give me. Immature Christians are talking about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Mature Christians say, make me, make me. Don't don't give me the son of entitlement. Make me like one of your servants. We have a generation of people that are wild right now. What is this famine doing in America? I believe it's doing, this is a prophetic message for the church. I believe this, this climate that we're in, this polarizing world that we're living in, is supposed to wake up the wild that are outside. And you know what your job is? If you're like, Mark, I know Jesus, I love this church, I love building the kingdom, you know what your job is? Is to get this house ready. Because I mark my words, there is a day coming, even here in Texas, that there will not be enough square footage in any church building in this state to actually house the lost boys... The ones that are wild and the ones that are uh, lawless and the ones that are legalistic. They're both coming home. Can I get an amen? They're coming home. What what does the famine do? It wakes up the wild. How do you know if you're wild? Some of you might be here today. When you're wild, you live wasteful. Wasteful. It says that he asked for his inheritance and he went to Vegas. He rented out the suite. He got all these girls to come. He got all of his buddies to come. They're sniffing cocaine. They're going to clubs all night. They're gambling all night. They're drinking all night. They're partying all night. But what I've learned about the kingdom of darkness is, is that when you have nothing left to offer the darkness, the darkness leaves you high and dry. All the friends were gone. He's now poor. He's got nothing left. Because if you live wild long enough, you'll waste everything. And if you waste everything living wild, you'll eventually end up like this guy in want. People always say, no, I'm the exception, Mark. I can do drugs during the weekend and go back to maintain my normal job. I can, I can have an affair. I can cut corners here. I can lie here. I can still hear. The Bible doesn't say you can't get away with it for a season. The Bible doesn't even say that doing stupid things isn't fun. It just says that it's not fun that lasts. Can we agree on this? If it's not fun a year from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, is it really fun today? 
If it's something that you're excited about tonight, but you're going to be ashamed of when you meet the love of your life, is it really fun? I think it's actually delayed torment. I think that when you're making decisions like our society endorses, just live in the moment, whatever feels right. If it's just your feelings, since when? Listen, feelings are terrible, lords. Terrible. Feelings are great things to confirm God, but terrible things to be led by. And that's the problem with the young generation. They think, if it feels this way, I just felt, I just wanted to follow my heart. We have these bumper stickers that are not even theologically sound. The Bible I read says the heart is inherently wicked. Why would you want to follow that wicked thing? Just because it's in your head doesn't mean it's godly. Well, I felt like doing this. I just felt like this, and I felt like that, and I just got to feel my way to heaven. There is no scriptures in the Bible that say we live by feelings alone. We don't live by feelings. We live by faith in the Son of God. Come on, can I get an amen? We have feelings. Well, I don't like church sometimes because sometimes I go, I just don't feel like I can keep being truly who I am and express my version of truth and reality and like feel like my worldview is being encouraged and edified and built up. And I sometimes I feel uncomfortable, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I come to church, and that preacher wearing his wife's jeans, <sighs> he's got that really ambitious napkin in his, in his suit pocket, and he's got his top button. Is he like a spiritual gangster? Why is his top button buttoned off? This guy, he started, I felt a little uncomfortable. Feelings, my, my, kind of hurt my feelings. I felt uncomfortable a little bit, certain parts of his message. I'm like, since when was church supposed to be a non? I'm trying to think how I say this. Where do we buy this lie that you're never supposed to feel uncomfortable at church? The book of Acts was a church that your sins went to die in. The book of Acts is where you got healed and set free from darkness. The book of Acts is where demons left, where hell was scared out of, and angels resided. I don't know where we bought into this lie. Church has to make me feel good all the time. Where's that gym at? I want a membership to that gym. Hey, I'll sign up, guys, but under one condition. I want to always feel good. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Look, if I sweat, you're fired. But we come to church, this consumeristic, oh, just make me feel good. Feelings. I feel like jumping and twirling today. Feelings. It's funny we laugh, but it's true, isn't it? We don't want to be told the truth. We'd rather be kissed with lies than actually hit with truth. I always tell our church, I would rather, I'd rather offend you with the truth than to appease you with the lies. The Bible says in the end days, people would get teachers that would actually tell the people what they want to hear with itching ears. I believe our day and age has sacrificed so many great moves of God because the men and women leading the church have sacrificed on the altars of popularity, not persecution. Popularity has killed more prophets than persecution in our day. And I believe that we got to be a generation that says, as for me and my house, I don't care if it's politically correct. I don't care if the government's endorsing it. Come on, I would rather offend the government than offend God. Come on, can I get an amen? There's two sons, super lost, wasteful, wild, in want. And if you're in want long enough, 
You're like in want, man. I just, I'm just, I'm not happy. I've tried the drugs. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've done everything. I've gone everywhere. I know we have the best news on the earth because I've been pastoring football players and celebrities and stuff for a long time. And I've seen people that are on Sports Center making millions of dollars that live in mansions, that married models, and have all the power, all the accolades that Hollywood says would make anyone happy. And I've seen those people just like all the ordinary people run to the front of altar calls, tears streaming down their eyes, saying, I've looked everywhere on the earth for what I found in this building. We have the greatest news in the world. Do you believe it today? We have the most important mandate in the world. Do you believe it today? Does anybody in Texas believe that the church is the hope of the world? And I'm just so tired of the world discipling the way the church believes. We're letting Babylon disciple the church instead of the church discipling Babylon. We're in a state that's like, oh, it's cool to build a billion-dollar football facility, but you know what? Here's 20 bucks, church. I'll give Lord Jerry $1,000 on a Sunday, but I'll give God 10 bucks. Where are the Christians that believe in building the kingdom more than building stadiums? I don't know about you. I think the church has a better message than the Cowboys. I think that, listen, I think that the church of Jesus is a greater cause than the Mavericks. So if we have a greater cause, shouldn't we have a greater resource? Shouldn't we have a greater army of people lining up Go, let's build this thing? Where are the fans of the local church? I see Cowboys, I love all that sports. Listen, come on, don't, don't get mad. I love sports. I just love Jesus more. Sports will entertain you for two hours. You can shout at strangers wearing a costume that you don't know any of them. And you can lose your voice, lose your mind, pay your money, happily do it. And then you come to church going, this place is a little bit too excited. Let's play. I don't know why there's some preachers all. We're not talking about two hours of entertainment. We're talking about eternity. We have the most important message. Are you hearing me today? We have people that are wild, wasteful, in want. And if you're in want long enough, you know what happens, ladies and gentlemen? You start questioning your self-worth. I am no longer worthy. That was the words of Wild Willie. I am no longer worthy to be a son of God. Some of you today, you know this to be true. You sit here, you know God's real, you know he's powerful, but somewhere along the way, you feel like you have compromised, screwed up, made too many mistakes, and no longer can God love me as I am. I am not worthy. Well, the truth is, none of us are worthy. And you're not more worthy on your good days and less worthy on your bad days. That's why it says that Jesus himself had to die as you, as me. He didn't die for you, he died as you, so that when God sees Jesus, he sees, he sees, when God sees us, he sees the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why he made him who knew no sin become sin for you and for me, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This, this is the good news. You're not worthy because you're worthy. You're worthy because you believe in Jesus and he's worthy. Worthy is the lamb, right? Worthy is the what? Our worth is connected to the lamb's worth. How do you know what, what the value of something is? Value is always dictated by what people are willing to pay. How do you know that you're worthy? Because worthy is the lamb that was slain. For who? For you. What was the value of humanity? The life of Jesus. So if God was willing to go to the value of Jesus on the cross to redeem relationship with the son that was outside and the son that was inside, that means that both sons were worth the life of the lamb. This is how good God is. 
Some of you are lost outside. You're like, Mark, I don't have any worse today. You're cutting yourself. You're depressed. You're suicidal. You know why many, generation, many of the young generation is committing suicide? It's because they're taught in school. They're just an accident. They're just some scientific result of some two gas balls pump coming together. You're a cosmic accident. And when you tell a generation they don't have a significant purpose and there is no designer, and there's no creator, and there's not a God that made them and knew them from the foundations of the earth, they will believe that if I'm an accident, my life doesn't really matter. You want a generation to have purpose? you got to tell them you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were in your mother's womb, God knew you. God chose you. Your mom and dad might have been surprised, but God wasn't. You didn't come from your mom and dad. You came from God. You came through your parents, but you're from God. Can I get an amen? Amen. I don't have value. God made you. You have intrinsic value. Some of you are lost outside, and then there's others that are lost inside. The older brother, we'll call him legalistic Larry. Larry Larry was in the field, and it says that he came near the house. Notice he was in the field. He lived probably at home still. But we find him upset in the world, in the field. And he's judging. Legalistic Larry is the one that thinks that he's worthy to be loved, but not the little brother. That's what legalism does. It makes you think that God loves you more than the person that votes differently than you do. Legalism makes you think that only God could accept the way you think, the way that you act, the car that you drive. You're judging people that drive electric cars, and they're judging people that drive pickup trucks, and everybody's divided and polarized, and it's like us versus them, and the Father goes, no, I'm for both. I love the one that's wild outside, that's a little cray-cray, and I love the one that has a little bit of an attitude problem, self-righteous. I've never left you. I've never done anything wrong. It's like, Larry, you're lying. Is your name Jesus? No, your name's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not Yahweh. It's not Jesus. Yeah, I'm pretty sure your name is um, not Savior of the world. So actually, you have sinned. He lies to his father's face in the field. Father, I've been with you all these years. I've never transgressed. I've never done anything wrong. And you've never done this for me. That's self-righteousness. And I believe that some of you today, you might not be wandering in the world, but you're kind of self-righteous in the church. And you think that God's grace is only good enough for people like you. But I want to let you in on a secret today. That we can't find any scriptures in the Bible that God throws rocks at sinners. The little brothers out in the field that are living crazy, God loves those guys just as much as he loves you. Loves me. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounded even more. Are you still with me today? How do you know if you're lost in the house? You're angry? He was angry that the father would still love a son that wasted his livelihood. Some of you are angry at people that maybe don't look like you, talk like you, vote like you, think like you. And I would tell you today, listen to me very clearly. This is so important for the church to hear. Any theological or philosophical worldview that gives you permission to hate someone else is not from God. Can I get a good amen right now? It is not in the heart of Jesus. It's not in the mind of God. If you ever hear someone say, we got to hate these people because they're not like us, that is not from Jesus. Are you hearing me today? But we have a world right now, the news is trying to divide. 
Politics are trying to divide. States are trying to divide. It's like there's so much hostility. And it's like, man, you're lost out there in the field, and, and you're out of the house, and you're lost out in the field, and you're in the house. And the father says, I want both of my boys home. I want them to both come back home. And I think it was the sovereignty of the father that knew this famine is going to wake my son up because he was waiting for him. Why would he be standing there? Because he knew this famine is so severe. There's so much shaking going on. If there was ever a thing in history that could wake up those that are wild outside, it's this famine. So he stood at the porch, looking at a distance, and he saw his youngest son walking home sheepishly. Picked up his, his robe, began to run, which was a no-no. It was an undignified thing to do for, for patriarchs in the Bible. He ran, he embraced him. He said, let's bring out the best. That's what God is so good at when we deserve the worst. Bring out the best robe. Bring out the ring. Bring out the Birkenstocks. The son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. And the father, hear me very clear today, the father was so quick to restore the status of his son. People go, Mark, what's going on right now? Well, it's a famine. And it's actually bringing the lost ones outside the house home. And you mark my words, church 1132, this church is getting ready to explode in the best way possible. There is going to be a harvest of people that you work with, you go to school with, people that live in your neighborhood and on your blocks that say, Mark, I'm just, or, or your, maybe your name's not Mark too. They're going to say Sally, Bill, Fred, whatever. They're going to say, man, I've been away from church for so long, but there's so much craziness in the world right now. What church do you go to again? I go to the best church in Texas, church 1132. And they're going to start coming with you. Because listen to me, famines wake up the wild. And there's going to be people that are self-righteous. They're like, well, I don't need to go to church. Like, I love God, but I don't need church. Like, I'm going to heaven without the church. It's like, yeah. Can you go to heaven without the church? Yeah. Yeah. But would you want to? No. Like, like you, can, you can survive, like, off of dehydrated food. I wouldn't recommend it. When you got heart eight in like six locations all over the Metroplex, why would you do this thing alone? Listen to me. Jesus isn't coming back for Rambo Christians. He's come back for his church. He's come back for this church. I don't like the church. I love God. I don't like the church. That's like saying, Mark, I love you, but Rochelle, she's weird. Whoa. That's my wife, man. Easy on my wife. Just because you met a girl that was weird doesn't mean my wife is weird. Just because you dated a girl that was weird doesn't make my wife weird. Just because you went to one church that was off doesn't mean that all churches are off. It is crazy the logic that people use with churches. Well, I had a bad experience at church, so I'm never going again. It's like, well, I had a bad experience at Taco Bell. But I'll be back. I'll be back. You don't stop eating when you get food poisoning. I just gave up on food. What happened? Oh, I got food poisoning. I just stopped eating. I'm on a liquid diet now. I've never heard that once. You know when people I've met, they're like, oh, I had a church hurt, so I'm just out. It's like, find somewhere else to eat. Not all people in the kitchen are dirty. There's some clean cooks, too. Come on. I feel something in here today. Who give me five more minutes? Five minutes? Five? Five? 10, 15, 20, that's fine. You guys knew where I was going. I want you to catch this today. The father, the father had 
had love. He willed for all of his sons to come back. He was waiting for both of his sons. Therefore, the Lord, it says in Isaiah 30, verse 18, the Lord, therefore, longs to be gracious to you. He wants, he wants, uh, he waits for you on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is good and full of justice. He's the God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. I believe that the Father is waiting today. And I was praying and the Lord spoke to me and said, Mark, it was the famine that woke the sons up. And I believe right now, what is God's heart for this crazy climate we're currently in? He wants to wake up his sons. He wants to wake up his daughters. Well, what's the church's job? The church, you and me, we are the servants that get the house ready for the sons to come home. That's who we are. We're the servant that actually saw the younger son come into the house. We saw dad give him a huge hug, and we were so excited. We got to go, let's find the older brother and tell him the good news. How did the older brother know what was going on? There was a servant that saw what happened that was in the field and said, your dad welcomed your little brother home. Come and see. And guess what the church did? That's the church right there, friends. The church was the one that said, hey, come on in, little brother. Come back, older brother. And when the older brother wouldn't come back to the church, come back to the house, the, the servant went back to the father. He interceded like Moses. He said, Father, he said, Master, your oldest son, I told him the good news, but he didn't want to hear it yet. I told those people that haven't come yet the good news, but they wouldn't hear it yet. And he began to pray. Father, would you go to them if they're not going to come to you? Would you send people to them if they're not going to come to us? I believe this is the hour for the Christians, the people of God, to say, Lord, I'm alive in this famine to get the house of God ready for the sons that are coming in. People say, Mark, the church is, look, look, it's falling apart. We're coming close to the end. Listen, any theological or eschatological worldview that requires no faith, eschatology is a study of end times. If your end times theology requires zero faith, guess what? It doesn't please God. Because it's impossible to please God without faith. That's why I'm not a dispensationalist. It's convenient to believe that miracles stopped thousands of years ago. The problem is it requires zero faith. And that's why I'm not into things being what it is. Because it requires zero faith. If there was ever a phrase the church shouldn't say, is it is what it is. I was born this way. Well, guess what? You can be born again. Guess what? You don't have to die how you were born. You were born looking like your mom and dad. You can die looking like your heavenly father. It isn't what it is. Jesus isn't coming back for some broke down church, crippling, wobbling, missing teeth, having a black eye, talking about I got so beat up by culture. He's coming back for a bride that's beautiful. He's coming back for a church that's glorious. Ephesians 2 says that he's coming back for a bride that's without spot and without wrinkle. Ephesians 4, I am convinced and I am persuaded that we have bought into an end times view that is not biblical. He's not coming back to rescue us. Please come rescue us, Jesus. We're getting our butts handed to us up down here. Listen to me. The return of Jesus is not a rescue mission. It's a, it's a romance. It's a romance that is so fiery that he has to come back to rescue, not rescue, but to marry his bride. He's coming back for a bride that is so good looking. He goes, I got to marry that girl. She is so adorable. 
She loves me so much. Man, she's been caring for me so much. She's been worshiping me so much. She's been serving me so much. I have to come now. There is the Lamb's Supper of the Lamb. There is going to be a wedding. Listen, the first miracle of Jesus was at a wedding, and the last miracle of Revelations is at a wedding. Jesus is returning to marry the church. So what are we going to do? We're going to prepare his church. We're going to prepare the house for his sons and his daughters. Some are lost in the house. Some are lost out of the house. But we're the servants that say, come. And the lamb said, come. That is the the invitation of the creator of the universe. Come home. Stop running. Stop faking. Some of you, man, you love Jesus, but man, it's it's been sterile lately. God says, come back. Today, I believe that whether you're lost, you're living wasteful, you're living wild, you're in want, or you feel like you're unworthy, I got good news for you today. The Father says, come. You're here today and you're like the older brother. You're angry, you have an attitude, and you're making assumptions. You're making assumptions that other people don't deserve the grace that God has given you. That's a religious spirit. And I'll tell you right now that Jesus didn't just die for some. It doesn't say that God so loved the church. John 3, 16, for God so loved the church that he gave his only begotten son. What's the Bible you read? Is it something like this? God so loved the, come on, ESPN, God so what? God so loved the world. He didn't just die for Christians, he died for those that are far. I want you to write these two big ideas down that God gave me this revelation on this week. Check that, I'm almost finished. Here's the, here's the big idea today. So important. We gotta prepare the house Number one reason why both sons were out in the field is because they didn't value the presence of the Father. Number one reason why you will drift into lawlessness or you will drift into legalism is because you do not value the presence of the Father. If you love His presence, you won't want to leave the house. If you taste how good He is, you won't want to leave the house. But if you don't value the presence of the Father, you are prone to wandering. It's truth. And I'm telling you today, God wants you to know that we're going to be, we're going to be sons and daughters that stay home because we know how good the Father's presence is. Second thing, I want you to write this down. You got to believe and realize that there is no famine in the Father's house. Stay with me. He gets to want severe famine. How severe? Severe. And he has this revelation. At home with my Father, there is no recession. In my Father's house, there's no plague. In my Father's house, there's no depression. In my Father's house, there's no, there's no confusion. In my Father's house, there's no depression, no demonic activity, no darkness. In my Father's house, there's no famine. You know what the church is? The place that all the crazy out there doesn't exist in here. This is where people come in and go, man, the peace I was looking for is here. The power I was looking for, it's here. That's why this has to be a church. All churches have to be churches full of power and full of wisdom. You know what the remedy is? The prescription for the lawless? The prescription for the legalistic? I believe the lawless need grace and the legalistic need truth. Churches churches with grace and no truth are like medicine bottles with no medicine in them. Churches with truth and with no grace is like getting surgery with no anesthesia. We need to have grace and truth. Can I get an amen? We got churches that are like like, like trying to love the world without any truth. That's like trying to eat food without teeth. 
God wants us to be sharp, but he wants us to be loving as we are. And I'm telling you today that the prescription for lawlessness is grace. The prescription for legalistic uh, living is truth. For the lawless, they need the word of God. For the legalistic, they need the spirit of God. For the lawless, they need wisdom. For the legalistic, they need power. And I'm telling you that Jesus is coming back for a church that has so much power, miracles, signs, wonders. Is there anybody in Texas that believes that the church he comes back for is greater than the one that he left? Do you believe that can happen again in this day and age? Come on, if you're going to clap, give him a good hand clap today. Feel his presence. We, we can't settle for this, it is what it is. We had a guy in our church get COVID so bad, went into this ventilator, was on the ventilator for 65 plus days. Been to our church one time. And I, I, I don't forget this, I got a phone call my day off and, 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 and this friend of a friend said, hey, this lady came to our church one time, her husband's on a ventilator right now. And uh, I had a choice, like, well, do, I, do I go visit, whatever? So I, I said, where's she at? So I drove to the house, all of her family's in there, they're all crying, the mother-in-law says, let's start preparing the funeral. And I get it, I know that everybody dies, I know that's part of life, but there was just a fight in me that day when I walked into the house, and I just think, man, Christians, look, God chooses if we live or die, our job is to believe that he can do anything. So I walked into the house, and they're talking about the funeral arrangements, his wife is crying, and he had, this is the problem, he had two daughters. And they were just a little bit older than my two daughters. And as I looked at the couch, and I saw his two little girls weeping for their dad, this guy's like 45 years old, I thought, man, if I was him and he was me, does he need a pastor to have a hospice Christianity message? Or does he need a pastor that has a hospital Christianity message? You know, we have too many pastors in America that play it safe and go, let's just comfort the family and let's just get ready for the funeral. I'm like, if it was me and those were my daughters, I need someone to pray that God's bringing me back. I need, my, my, my little girls need their father right now. Th those little girls need their dad. So I'm like, all right, I don't know them. I'm like, they've been to our church one time. All their friends are there. It's like this big mansion house, fluent family. And I'm like, oh, I don't know any of these people really. And I saw those little girls and I had two choices. I'm like, all right, do I do the conservative pastor thing and go, God, just give this family peace in this time? Or do I pray like it was my life and those were my little girls? I'm like, I might freak some people out because I'm gonna Shondai something. I'm going to should have bought a Kia or would have bought a flipping Hyundai. I'm going to get after this right. I'm going to Kawasaki a devil in the face. Listen, so I'm like, look, I'm going in. I don't care if I offend everybody in the room. I would rather offend them going after God in faith than to make them happy and console them in their grief. So I said, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. I said, everybody get in the living room. God, I'm in the living room. I said, we're going to pray right. I want to believe God can do anything. I had all of them look. I said, look at me. I've seen God raise sick people up. I've seen people on ventilators come back. I've seen people in a comas come back. I've seen people that couldn't have kids get pregnant. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. God can do anything. We're going to pray right now. And I prayed, man, like it was me on that ventilator, and those were my little girls I was looking at across the couch. I started shondying some stuff. There's some guys that have never been to church. They're Egyptian family. One of the guys... He's a business guy. He told me afterwards, he says, I never seen the value of church until this moment. Never been to church. He's been to our church two times. He's, he's starting to come to our church now. This guy, Iman's his name, on a ventilator for 64 days. That night after we prayed, Paul would attest to this. 
the doctor said, come say goodbye that night. They said, we're not saying goodbye. God's going to do a miracle. Next morning, they called. One of the guys didn't have any faith, so he went in the morning to say goodbye. And in the morning when he got there, the nurse said, you can't come in. We only let people come in that are for sure dying, and he's shown some improvement tonight. Kicked him out. Next 24 hours, they said, he's getting stronger. He's getting better. Fast forward uh, about two weeks, three weeks. Got off the ventilator, woke up. He was at our church last Sunday. Our church, he lost his job. It wasn't, the house we were at wasn't his house. He had a normal job. Our church, our church last Sunday gave him $35,000. Get back on his feet. Someone said, I'm going to Ocean's Church. Come on, somebody, take care of you. Took an offering for him. We're not a hospice that, that just comforts people to death. We are a church that believes that signs and wonders, these signs will follow those who believe. And if someone does go to heaven, we celebrate a homecoming, but our job is to believe while there's still time to believe. Do you believe that today, 1132?